Without the ones like you, who work tirelessly to keep things running, everything would suddenly stop. Hospitals, factories, schools, and power plants, they all depend on you. No matter the weather, emergency, or time of day, you're the ones who get it done. At Granger, we're here for you with professional grade industrial supplies. Count on real time product availability and fast delivery. Call clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. Thinking of starting a podcast? We'll try Anchor. It's free, easy to use, and its creation tools allow you to record and edit directly from your phone or computer. It'll even take care of distribution for you with a single tap so you can be heard on platforms such as Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and more. Also, Anchor is the only place you can publish video podcasts directly to Spotify. Man, you can even make money using Anchor in a couple of ways, including ads and podcast subscriptions. It's truly everything you need in one place to make a podcast. So make sure to go download the free Anchor app or go to anchor.fm to get started. Again, download the free Anchor app or go to anchor.fm to get started today. Welcome to the It's Cavalier podcast. As always, it's your boy Mac, and today I'm joined by Justin Rowan of the Chase Down Pod. How you doing, Justin? I'm doing well. Thank you for having me back. Man, it's always good to talk uh, Cavs basketball, especially this time of year when we have so little <laughs> uh, to talk about. I feel like we kind of beat topics to death, but nonetheless, I am glad to have you back. Uh, man, we'll just jump right into it. Uh, we just came off of Summer League. I just want to know from you, which Cavalier impressed you the most during that during that time? I'd probably say Isaac Okoro just because I, I was looking to see the changes in this game more than anything. Uh, Evan Mobley obviously was not as strong as you'd hope offensively. What uh, wasn't necessarily finishing uh, with great consistency, which is to be expected to some extent uh big men traditionally don't do great in summer league just because it's so geared for guys that can create their own shot everyone's looking to make a roster but isaac okoro just seen the changes in his game uh the fact that his handle's a little tighter the 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 way that he is better leveraging his strength and getting staying under control as he's getting to the basket uh the the jump shot looked quicker a little more compact I, i wish the release point was a little bit higher uh, but there was a lot of things from Okoro that looked like functional skills that will translate to next season. And, and I'm really excited because I, I think it, it's easy to forget that in a lot of ways, Summer League is the, the mid-offseason check-in point. Like, this is the work that he's put into this point of the offseason. But there's still two months here until the regular season kicks off. So from that standpoint, it, it's really encouraging to to see that Okoro does look like he's progressed, uh, especially being such an important X factor for the team next season. I couldn't agree more, man. This this summer league was very eye-opening for Okoro. I, I think I would like to think that he will handle some maybe tertiary playmaking duties. You know, he's not really going to steal the, that uh, that job description away from Darius Garland or Colin <laughs> Sexton anytime soon. But or I even do, Ricky Rubio. Right, right. So he, he could be fourth on the pecking order in that regard. But in regards to the starting lineup, I do think that uh, those added capabilities – that we've seen from him could pay dividends, especially for, uh, for, for guys like Sexton when he's off the court. 
Yeah, so, I, I, I agree. And when you look at a team that's invested in Evan Mobley and Jared Allen, the ability to run the pick and roll is going to be really important because that's such a big part of their game. So even if it's secondary playmaking that O'Coral is bringing to the table where the ball rotates on the perimeter uh, to the weak side, kind of catching the defense off off guard, the Cavs ran um, they were near the top of the league and side pick and rolls ran last season. So him being able to function in that role and provide that secondary playmaking is a good way for him to kind of open up the offense a little bit. Yeah, certainly. Certainly. I think we saw a little bit of that in summer league between him and Mobley. And it was, it was really cool to see, man. And speaking of Mobley, what, just give me your honest assessment from what you've seen. I know it was only a three game sample size, but are you feeling any differently than you were draft night after watching what you did from summer league? No. It, and to be clear, I don't really change my like draft night evaluations a whole lot. Even after a rookie season, like my opinion of Darius Garland didn't really change with his rookie year, just because of the context of that situation. I was still very high on him and what he could bring to the table. And then last season being healthy, you, you could tell that it made a big difference. Uh, but when it comes, came to Evan Mobley I didn't really have concerns because the areas that he struggled were areas that he will not be asked to contribute next season like the the fact that there wasn't someone that could initiate the offense and uh they had to resort to post-ups to get him touches and things like that that's that's not going to be his role he's actually quite fortunate because a, a lot of the times these top talents come to a team that doesn't have young talent. Uh, the Cavs are not in that situation. I think it's going to be a little more similar to uh, what the Hornets had last season with LaMelo, where, yeah, we, we have some young players in place that are going to help him ease into his game. And him being that high post connector is really the, the main way that I would expect them to utilize him this season. So the fact that that was where he looked the best is nice because we're not expecting him to be the guy that carries the offense next season. That's going to be a work in process, uh, work in progress. But at the same time, the fact that he looks stout in that kind of facilitating role from the high post, uh, able to get by guys. And, and that's where his brightest flashes occurred. That's encouraging because that's more what he will be asked to do next season versus some of the kind of freelancing and um, bailout shots that he was forced to take as a result of the kind of the makeup of that summer league roster. Yeah, I always like to think of the summer league as more of a guards type of a, <laughs> a guards type of game. Uh, Evan Mobley, you know, he didn't look the cleanest on offense, but I liked what I saw at him. I, I do still stand by the fact that I think that in order for him to really have a, a great impact on the floor, he's going to have to put on some kind of weight. But, mm -hmm. you know, that's that's not going to happen overnight. That's OK. Do you think at this point in time he should be starting over love? To begin uh, the season, at least. Ooh, that, that's an interesting question. So I, I almost wonder if the debate would be more, should he start over Larry? Because I, I think at this point, Larry is probably the most accomplished power forward on the roster and the most impactful. Um, that's one of those tricky things where I, I think it's going to depend on how he looks in training camp, whether or not he fully earns that spot. I do think he's likely going to get uh, a little bit of an edge just because you're investing in him and you're investing in the fit between he and Allen. Um, so I think it's one of those situations where if it's close enough, um, Mobley will get the nod. If not, they, like if he's really struggling in summer league, I, 
wouldn't necessarily be surprised to see him come off the bench. I, but to, in all fairness, I, I do anticipate him to start. Um, but we have seen situations where that player, as talented as they are, still needs to come in off the bench. I mean, I'll go back to the Lamelo example last year. It took him some time before he earned that spot, but the natural talent just kind of won out at some point where uh, the, the team realized, hey, the, the upside he brings on the floor and the way that he changes things on, on both ends means that we got to start this guy. And I, I anticipate with um, Garland, Sexton, Okoro, Allen, all kind of taking some pressure off of him. I, I think he fits really well and is a nice connector piece. So for that reason, I, I would really expect him to start. Yeah, I definitely wouldn't be opposed to it. I think at this point in time, allowing him to grow within the starting unit and gets those minutes against starters, I think that would do dividends. I think that would really pay off in the long run. Yeah, get those reps in. Yeah, yeah. So I, I definitely think there's a viable case for Larry Nance uh, to start. But it really just remains to be seen what his future is, you know, with the team at this point. And, you know, I guess that's a, a good way to segue into what are your thoughts on all this, all this outside chatter that we're hearing about Larry possibly being on the move? I'm conflicted because uh, on the one hand, I, I mean, it's pretty evident what Larry means both to this team and, and the community. I mean, even from a selfish standpoint of someone that's come on our podcast and, and has been very kind to us. Um, so from that standpoint, a Larry trade would be tough. On the other hand, I, I would kind of understand even if Larry was feeling uh, some frustration with, with the situation because I'm sure he wanted to be a, a starter in Cleveland. He's behind Kevin Love. Uh, last season was his first real opportunity to be the full-time starter and just couldn't stay healthy. And now you draft a 20-year-old kid uh, that, that could potentially be starting over him. Uh, you have quite the logjam at power forward now with Mobley, Larry, Love, Dean Wade, who played well. Even Lamar Stevens, who looked good at, at Summer League. Uh, plays primarily at the four. So it's a little bit of a tricky situation where if the offers are good enough and teams are offering established quality wing players, moving Larry for one or more wings might be one of the easiest ways in a vacuum to balance out this roster and to have it make sense and give the young guys the, the type of personnel they need to succeed. But at the same time, you got to weigh that against are we losing veteran voices in the locker room? Like, I, I don't think you necessarily want to trade him for two more kids and, and then you don't have that presence. So I, I feel conflicted because I, I do feel like uh, Larry provides them with an opportunity to really naturally upgrade the roster and balance things out. But at the same time, I, I'm worried about what that would do for the locker room. That's completely understandable. I think the biggest thing for me with Larry, because I never have questioned his ability. I think he's maybe one of the most versatile uh, players that we have on the team, probably the most. But the question with Larry has always been his health. I think that he's played no more than 66, 67 games in one particular season. Mm -hmm. uh, but, you know, you, you cannot really use that as – I, I guess motivation to trade him, you know, currently because he he is one of the preeminent veteran voices, really one of the only ones that we have left on the team at this point, you know, uh, without factoring in Kevin Love. Yeah. But I think losing somebody who is as high character as Larry would 
would really be harmful, but there is a, uh, a good camp of people that feel like he could be used as trade ammunition to bring in, you know, a score, somebody off the bench or possibly even the, in the starting lineup, a la like a, a Terrence Ross. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Or, or you look at some of the other names that, that were mentioned in the Chris Fedor piece, like Dylan Brooks, uh, Kyle Anderson. Like if you're bringing in one of those guys, uh, they very well might start. And if Kevin Love isn't willing to give back money to facilitate a buyout, uh, you could have a more balanced roster there where, where let's say Dylan Brooks is starting at the three, Isaac Okoro is coming off the bench kind of as your sixth man, letting him kind of show him a little more of those facilitating and that initiating chops that he has. Uh, and, and then you have Kevin Love and Dean Wade as your backup force. Like Wade is kind of the Kevin Love insurance because you, you know he's probably going to miss some time. That that balances out the roster really nicely. So it's one of those things where I'm I'm sure it would need to be significant value for the Cavs to to move on from Larry Nance because you've heard over the last year and a half basically that teams are making really big offers for him. So I, I would anticipate that it would take quite a bit to move on from him. But if it balances the roster and makes the team better and brings you someone that. Uh, doesn't have the same questions when it comes to availability. There has to be a, a breaking point where it's you, you kind of have to let go of kind of the, the sentimental reasons and, and do what's best for the roster. Yeah, and and that's kind of the the balancing act that you talk about for a, for a guy like Kobe Altman in regards to decision making. I know that's got to be some that's those got to be really tough shoes to be in to to really have to possibly pull the trigger on a guy that is so beloved, uh, you know, in this area. I, I uh, feel like the reporting wouldn't even come out at this point if there weren't strong offers. Like if the market wasn't already, be. if the market wasn't already hot for Larry Nance, you wouldn't do that. Like if teams are coming with low ball stuff, uh, I, I don't think that even comes out. But if teams are making big offers and it, it hasn't met the asking price yet, but it's kind of, creeping towards that uh where, where the team has to make that kind of consideration but then yeah it would make sense that uh the the story starts to come out now that that's of course assuming that the, the reporting is accurate this type of stuff that there's so much misinformation there's a million yeah there, there's a lot of caveats and qualifiers there but just going off of what we know because I, I'm, I'm not plugged in like that. I, I'm not big on the sources and whatnot. Uh, but based on what's out there, that that's kind of my read of the situation. Yeah. You had to think that there were probably good draft night offers, but maybe the organization just hesitated to pull the trigger. You never really mm-hmm. know, I guess. Uh, like you said, yeah, we're not. Or plugging. maybe, yeah, maybe it was uh, just a situation of, yeah, there were quality offers regarding draft picks, but at the same time, you probably want an adult in the room if you're giving up one of the adults in the room, right? Like it may be that what they want is a proven player versus draft picks. I don't know, uh, but that might be one reason why this didn't kind of come to fruition on draft night. Yeah, I mean, you do not want to continue to add 19 to 20 year olds <laughs> to your organization. You need some better stability there. And Larry still offers that in abundance. Um, outside of the log jam that we have at the fourth position, man, what the hell are the Cavs doing at, at backup center? Is the plan just to, to give Mobley those minutes when he's not in the starting lineup? Or are they going to allow Fiondu Cavangeli to <laughs> soak up a little bit of that time? 
Uh, is there I mean, a move coming? Yeah, I, I mean, uh, once again, to, to lean on Fedor's reporting uh, as one of the few people that is providing <laughs> reporting on the team, uh, th- there is some interest in adding a, another center, maybe bringing back Hardenstein. Uh, I would imagine as currently constructed, if Kevin Love's coming in off the bench, you might want to play him with Mobley uh, for those minutes without Jared Allen because Love can kind of defend himself in the post. He's got a little more weight to him. Uh, he'll provide spacing for Mobley on the offensive end. You can kind of switch what position they play depending on what end of the floor you're on. And, and I, I think that's a viable way to, to play him if he is back on this roster. Um, Dean Wade could maybe fill in, in a little bit of that role. Uh, we saw him play three through five last year. Um, but, it, but it's currently constructed. I would imagine that it's primarily Jared Allen, Evan Mobley, little Kevin love. Um, I, I don't think Larry would need to play the, the five at all if he's back. Um, but it wouldn't surprise me to, to see them bring in another center. Maybe Hardenstein's looking for more of an opportunity. So he goes somewhere else and, and you, you sign a different kind of take a flyer on a different center. Um, but I, I think of the guys that are actually seeing real minutes in like a nine man rotation, it's probably the guys that are either on the roster or will be traded for if we're moving one of those nine guys. Yeah, I, I definitely uh, can see the validity behind that, especially when you have so many guys who can line up at the four and got uh, four and five spots. Um, that's is got to be figured out. That's going to be very, very rough for JB to kind of iron out those uh, nine to 10 man rotations, especially in regards to the power forward and center positions. Yeah. Uh, Yeah. Especially when you're trying to figure out exactly who's earning it, right? Like there's a lot of opportunities up for grabs uh, for a lot of these players on the roster. So uh, who actually seizes that opportunity is going to be really interesting. Yeah. And speaking of earning, you know, minutes and opportunities, did you see enough from Lamar Stevens throughout summer league for him to warrant rotational minutes? Um, I liked what I saw for the most part. Uh, he, he was a little more trigger happy than I would have loved. Um, but I, I don't see him cracking the rotation as it currently stands. Like I, he's someone that I have some confidence in if, Injury strike, which they often do, and and you need someone to come in and bring defense. But when you're really looking at it, um, the guard minutes are spoken for Garland, Sexton, Rubio. Um, on the wing, you've got Okoro, who's going to eat up a bunch. Dylan Windler might get some reps. Jetty might get some reps. He might trade for a wing, so they're going to take up a lot of that time. And then, like Lamar Stevens, at this point, until he proves he has an outside jumper, uh, he's probably more of a four than a wing. Uh, so for that reason, we, we've already talked about the log jam at the four. I, I just can't see him cracking the nine man rotation. I, I do really like the progress that he's made. I, I think he was a great flyer to take on, on an undrafted player and, and a great development story. But at this time, I, I just don't see him cracking the full time rotation if this team is fully healthy. Yeah, I'm kind of in the same boat. I For me, I think until he develops at least a consistent three-point shot I don't know how much you know how impactful he's going to be within your rotation I think he mm-hmm. he really is in a, a really good defender but you got to have a multifaceted game to stand out from the rest of the log jam you know love can still hit can still hit some threes Larry can hit a hit an outside jumper 
you have guys who can do that. And until he can, I just Dean don't Wade know. can really shoot. Yeah. Yeah. Dean Wade. And we haven't even talked about him. Dean is going to factor heavily into, you know, what they, what they decide to do in regards to the rotation. Uh, the guy for me, who's going to potentially be the biggest X factor in regards to, you know, what ifs, especially considering the Cavs haven't signed a wing yet is a guy like Dylan Windler. Um, do you still believe in Windler in regards to, you know, him having, a full season, him having made progress, do you think he can actually have a good year this year? I would not make roster decisions based on trusting Dylan Windler to stay healthy. <laughs> um, I am still a believer in what he can bring to the table. Like you, you look at it last season and his January and February were strong. Like we're, we're talking like 44% shooting from three uh, shot. Well, from the floor uh, was playing pretty good defense uh, was a nice connector, made the, the right team plays. So the theory is sound there. And this is a guy that didn't have injury concerns coming into the NBA and, and just seems to have been struck at the wrong time. Um, but I, I, I'm a believer that he can help because I, I've seen him be helpful, but I would not stop myself from making other moves, banking on Dylan Windler. Like if the opportunity came up to, to move like Jetty and, and some second round picks for an experienced player, like you, you mentioned Terrence Ross. I'm doing that. If an opportunity comes up to trade Larry for a veteran experienced wing that fits well with the young core, uh, I'd probably do that if the right deal came along. That being said, yeah, like it would really be nice if Dylan Windler filled in. Like I, I've seen some people kind of pine for signing someone like Garrison Matthews or, or some of these other like fringe wings that might be able to help. Like I, I have as much confidence in Windler as I do those guys. Um, but that's not much. Like, I, I don't think it's going to really add much from a wins and losses standpoint. But if he's healthy, like we know he can shoot the hell out of the ball. He's a big, long wing. He, he does the right things. It's just figuring out whether or not he can actually stay healthy, which at this point, we've really been given no reason to believe that he can. Yeah, you know, I, I still have a bit of belief in Wendler and I'm really pulling for him, especially considering the fact that they've yet to bring in somebody to address the wing position. Uh, you know, we, we saw what happened to Chandler Baldwin, you know, God bless him. You know, hopefully everything's okay with him, but they've yet to make any big time acquisition. I don't know if that's for lack of trying or just people not really wanting to accept playing for Cleveland or the mid-level exception, you know, who knows, but mm -hmm. he would quell a lot of those issues if he was to develop into that kind of three and D wing type player uh, that they originally thought that he could possibly turn into. Uh, I want to shift gears here for a moment and talk about this whole Colin Sexton uh, contract extension situation. Now we just saw, you know, Charlotte Horns guard, Terry Rozier sign that, uh, that, that deal. Mm -hmm. I am of the mindset that you got to pay Colin you know, over the 100 mil. And I know that's, you know, it's been reported that his camp is understanding that they may not receive the max. Mm -hmm. uh, and I think he'd probably be okay with that. You never really know what these guys are thinking, but would it behoove the Cavs? Would it be more beneficial for them to get a deal done before the season starts or let him hit restricted free agency and kind of just match any deal he would possibly get? 
I think uh, if you can get an extension done below the max, I would be for it. Like, I, I think the most you could offer, if I'm not mistaken, is like that 4108 that was basically like the Jalen Brown contract. I'm fine with that. You you look at the the numbers for Sexton uh, last year compared to Rozier. Rozier is a guy going into his third contract. He's five years older. And there's an argument that Sexton was better. Like his playmaking numbers were better. Uh, Rozier takes more threes uh, and, and is a little more impactful on the defensive end of the floor. Um, but given the upside, like the, the third contract conversations are different than the second contract, right? Like th- this is a guy that's 22 years old Yeah. Uh, for that reason. Like if you can get him for 4108, do it because I, I mean, you could have an opportunity like when the Celtics signed Jalen Brown to that deal. He, he wasn't worth that yet, but that ended up becoming a, a bargain contract. And if Sexton takes another leap forward next year or uh, like provides the same kind of scoring and playmaking at like 20, 24, 25 points per game, four and a half assists, like that's good secondary playmaking numbers. And, uh, and there's advanced stats out there that say he's a better passer than his raw numbers would indicate. Now, he in certain situations, yes, he he misses guys on the interior, he he misses reads, but uh, he's making progress there. Uh, but if he Im- improves off of where he was last season, which is all he's done to this point, yeah, you're you're at risk of of someone making a, a max offer in restricted free agency or or having to agree to a sign and trade that's less than ideal. Like if you're signing him for 25, 26 million a year, it's probably easier if you do have to move him to move him because then there's not the risk of teams worrying about him getting a max offer from some team like the Knicks or uh, some team that wants to give him like that 40 million a year Donovan Mitchell contract that he was reportedly looking for. So if I could extend him for below the max, like I, I, I'd be for it. I, I think it keeps your flexibility open and you're going to find teams that uh, are willing to trade for a young scorer that, that can do what he does at that age. Yeah, I mean, scores just do not grow on trees. I know that, you know, he's earned or is in the realm currently of those guys who put up numbers on bad teams. I'm not with that necessarily. And I think part of what you pay a guy for coming on, uh, coming off his rookie deal is not just what he's shown you, but his potential. You know, you're not you're banking on him becoming more than he is at this point in time. I think that's mm-hmm. part of the uh, the rookie scale max. Um, you know, whatever extension you have to offer him. I too believe that it would, you know, best benefit them for to go ahead and get a deal done before he plays himself into max level territory. Cause mm-hmm. I think it's, it's definitely in the cards. If he continues along the current trend that he's set for himself, especially with the addition of Rubio and Mobley. Um, yeah. I think we could definitely head towards, you know, something in that range if he continues the path that he's uh, already set for himself. Um, Speaking of Sexton, though, I just I wanted to get your opinion on this. Do you think Cleveland will actually end up sending at least one player to the All-Star game, which I believe is being held in Cleveland this upcoming season? Oh, my confidence in that went down just a little bit after the schedule was (laughs) released. Um, My long-term, like, my my season predictions is still about the same. I think this is a team that can compete for that kind of nine ten play in spot uh, if things are breaking right. Uh, but I, I think the formula for the Cavs getting someone in the All Star game 
uh, would be a strong start to the season, right? Like you, you need to have a pretty good record uh, towards the end of January. And you look how, how difficult the season starts off with 19 of the first 25 games coming against teams that finished in the playoffs last season uh, in that top 16 playoff bracket. That's uh, that, that's a tough path. So I, I think if they manage to to have a strong stretch throughout that and start to uh, get to kind of that mid-December where the, the schedule lightens up and and they get some wins there, then yeah, I, I could see uh, someone like Darius Garland making the All-Star uh, game as a reserve, especially with it being in Cleveland. But it's really going to come down to whether or not they're in that top eight bracket, like you have to be there if you're going to get that consideration because the East has gone really, really deep with a lot of talented players. So Sheesh, it's an yeah. uphill battle. Yeah, yeah, certainly. I think, man, the, the entire East as a whole, to me, has just taken a big step forward. You talk about what Chicago's been able to bring in, uh, New York reloaded, you know, uh, bringing back all their their current players plus adding Evan Fournier there's just the east as a whole just got better let's I'll just put it that way I'll leave it at that so Cleveland although they've added Rubio although they've added Mobley I don't know if that's enough to really you know separate them from the the play-in territory or even you know below that so we'll really have to see I don't think it's out of the realm of possibility for them to be able to be in that 9-10 range but, but, uh, but even if they're at nine, like, I don't think they'd get rewarded with an all-star, right? Like that, that's the, no, I don't know. I, I, and then you saw, you know, Sexton put up, what was it? 24.3 points, uh, this past season, um, yeah. in previous seasons. Yeah. The, in previous seasons, that's been enough to get some guys included. I mean, we oh, saw yeah, that, that, that was an all-star offensive season though. Like by the normal standards, most players that put up those averages end up in the all-star game. Like that, that's one of the things about people that say, well, he's putting up numbers on a bad team. How, how come every bad team doesn't have someone putting up those kind of offensive numbers? Like the, the league is, is so deep right now. You're not in a position where one or even two players can carry you to the playoffs. Like look at Zion and Brandon Ingram, like Steph missed the playoffs with two max players playing alongside him. Like it, it, it's a right. much, much more difficult league to, to win in now. Yeah, I think people have to lay off of that <laughs> uh, that whole stereotype there with uh, scores. But if if anybody's going to make it, they're going to have to be in that uh, top eight seed range, like you alluded to. I just I don't see them being able to send you know even one player there, or even you know be close in the voting until the wins start to come, until these statistics and still this, uh, the potential starts to translate into actual wins on the court. Mm -hmm. You know, we'll have to kind of see what happens. Also, you know, being in Cleveland, having the competition held in Cleveland, I'm sure that could help a little bit, but probably not too much. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Uh, (laughs) You're going to need to be in the top eight. You're you're going to need to have kind of the, the surprise start that they had last season, but sustain it. Um, and maybe that means the rest of the East has a bit of a slow start as well. Like that, that could factor in, um, but it's going to be tricky, especially when you look at that early schedule. But I guess the, the optimistic way to look at it is if you do play well in that early stretch, 
man, you're going to gain some positive momentum for it when you're starting to play those teams that you need to beat in order to make it into the play-in. Uh, those games that count for twice as much in the standings, uh, you're you're going to be sharpened up at that point and carrying some positive momentum. So I, I guess that, that would be the optimistic way to look at things. Yeah, I mean, Justin, I'm really rooting for him. I'm, if this is the season to make a push, if this is the season to make a breakthrough, I guess, you know, in the past, three years this is the one to to finally start to see some progress in regards to wins i think yeah, i i don't even need the, to them to make the playoffs if they get the the nine seed and uh losing the play-in tournament i'm going to consider that a successful season if it's the young guys that brought them there because as much as people laughed at what jared allen said about being the five seed in, in two three years uh that would be pretty steady growth like if you in two years, you still have a core young five that is all 25 and under like that. That's really, really young. And that doesn't usually win in the NBA. Uh, so if after this season, uh, the following year, you're a five seed or even the year after that, uh, I, I would say that is pretty steady and encouraging growth. Certainly. I mean, not everybody is the Atlanta Hawks and can make just like this cataclysmic jump just from, you know, from one year to the next. You know, yeah, they, and even then, I don't know if that happens in a normal season. Like, right. I, I think there's the possibility of them coming back to earth. And in, in a normal year where teams like Boston, Toronto, uh, Brooklyn, Philly, like are, aren't all decimated with injuries and COVID and everything else that went on, uh, the Hawks might just be a first round out. Like, and that's not a that's not a disrespect to them at all. I really like what they built. I love their young core. I love their long term upside. Uh, it's just acknowledging that. Uh, the the team success of last season. I I don't know how indicative it is of where the 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 league and the Eastern Conference is really standing right now. That is a very tough question to answer. I mean, you can make that determination about some of the teams in the West uh, as well. You know, specifically the Lakers. But yep, you know, you really just don't know what direction that team is going to go in. I know that they were able to add veterans. I know that they had. You know, they obviously they have the. The, the sharpshooter that is Trey Young, who seems to be able to to do a little bit of everything. But uh, Cleveland, you know, we haven't shown that that we can sign key free agent additions. That's a, that's a big part of that as well. But nonetheless, I'm really rooting for this team. I'm hoping they could – I'm along the lines of you. If they can get to that 9-10 playing range and at least get to the playing game, even if they lose – I'd consider that a successful season. I don't know if the Cavs do. I don't know if that's mm-hmm. enough to keep JB's job um you know kobe included but who knows yeah no i I, it's i i don't know exactly what the goals are i i i think that that would be considered a successful season but uh i've been proven wrong time and time again when when trying to assume exactly where where the cast see themselves but um it, it may be a situation where hey if february comes and they're in the playing position maybe they feel a little more empowered to move that 2022 pick like and and to get a proven veteran and, and to improve the roster and, and be buyers at the deadline. Like that's something we, we probably shouldn't rule out either. They, we, we don't know if the roster is going to look the same at the start of training camp forget uh, by the end of the season. If, if they are exceeding expectations, I I'd expect them to, to do some moves to improve their standing, especially 
like we talk about how the East has improved, but a lot of that is teams that had a lot of turnover. Like Charlotte got younger. Chicago's going to take some time to jail. Like Indiana is going through changes, a coaching change. Uh, you, you don't know necessarily if they're going to hang on uh, to Miles Turner, to Malcolm Brogdon, like a lot of TJ Warren, all these guys are, are showing up in trade rumors. If these teams take a little bit of time to gel and it gives the Cavs a, a bit of a head start, uh, it could give them the opportunity to be buyers at the deadline and and keep themselves in that position rather than kind of coming back to the pack as the season progresses. So um, as much as we kind of have a decent sense of where the league is standing right now, there's so much that can change. There's so many unforeseen things. Like Nobody would have expected Toronto to... People expected Toronto at the start of the season to be competing for the four seed, not the four pick, right? So there's so much that can change and we're just trying to give our best educated guess. Yeah. I mean, that's all we got right now. (laughs) You just, you don't know. I I would be willing to bet my bottom dollar that if the Cavs are in playing uh, playoff or playing territory come February, that they will absolutely be buyers. This roster is not going to look the same if they end up being, you know, able to compete. At that point in time, I think a guy like Jetty could possibly be shipped out. You never know what would happen with Larry or, you know, maybe if Kevin starts to actually, you know, look a little bit better in a reserve role. You, you just don't know what's going to happen. I I do believe the roster and the rotation is going to look different come midseason. But, uh, you know, I'm hoping that the core five can can really get this team jump started. Uh, with that being said, I'm going to go ahead and bring this episode to a close. Uh, thanks for coming on, Justin. It's always good to talk Cavs basketball with you. No problem. Thank you so much for having me. I really appreciate it. No problem. Make sure to check out the Chase Down, uh, Chase Down Pod if you haven't already and subscribe to it. Um, as always, like I always like to tell you guys, if you like to reach out, you can on at It's Cavalier underscore pod on Twitter, TikTok, and Instagram. And have a good day. For the ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile. And the ones who get in early so everyone can go home on time. There's Granger, Offering professional-grade supplies backed by product experts so you can quickly and easily find what you need. Plus, you can count on access to a committed team ready to go the extra mile for you. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger, For the ones who get it done.